0: com slash ACAST.
1: I'm Mike Boris and this is Straight Talk.
0: I'm just going to ask you a few questions about you pretty much. There's a core value that we all share and that's the desire to be understood. Kirk Docker is a producer,
1: documentary maker and show creator.
0: Whether we're into weird fetishes or whether we're into something very, very boring, we want to be understood for who we are. He's pulled a curtain on society's fringes and has shown us the truth of who we really are. They're different things, who you project to be and who you are, mm. totally different. Creating content where people go, fuck me, I can't believe that person just said that. Wow.
1: <laughs> Kirk Docker, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thank you. Glad straight, to be here. Straight talk too, by the way. This is, uh, and what straight, or maybe straight's not a good word actually in relation to what we're going to talk to you about. Uh, I love <laughs> Thanks for dressing up. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm a shorts man. Yeah, no, no, it's cool. uh, it's, uh no thongs today. You know, it's interesting. Um, as soon as I see you dressed like that, I immediately build, through the image, I build a story of who Kirk, Kirk Docker is. Mm. And I see your hair, your beard, your nearing, hat. Can't see what's on your hat. Put your head down. What's on your hat? Passport. Okay. Um, Two-shirt says Pyrus X. I'm sort of building up a a mental image of who you are or who you project to be. What is that? Well, They're different things, who you project to be and who you are. Mm. Totally
0: different. Yeah, who do I project to be? That's an interesting idea because – I'm a very aware of how I dress and um, there are times where I will slightly adjust how I dress depending on the circumstance, but I'm a big believer in um, being you know, authentic is a word everyone's using, throwing around at the moment, but dressing authentically because if I'm ultimately asking people to be themselves, if I'm sort of pretending and even one small skerrick, um, people sense that and so – I try and be myself all the way through from how I dress to how I speak um, so that the the interactions I have with people, they don't feel like there's any falsities there.
1: That's interesting. I'm a firm believer in the the neurological theory or the neuroscientist theory that um, we build neurologically a story about who we are and then we continually reaffirm who we are and we become – who we are. And that's a sort of theory of plasticity too, because you can actually reverse all that. So to answer your question, um, in terms of who you, I think you're projecting you are, um, you, you think you're projecting the authentic Kirk Docker. But my question is, what does Kirk Docker think the authentic Kirk Docker is? Is it someone he believes he is, or is it someone secretly behind those yellow rimmed eyes (laughs) there could be someone secretly lurking back there who has some some weird fetish or something Uh, we were talking Mm. about fetishes earlier on um so i i see you as uh as i'm chilled i don't give a fuck this is how i want to dress uh take me for what i am don't judge me i don't give a fuck if you judge me or not the way i dress uh i'm relaxed I don't have to impress you. Mm. But on the other side, I might be saying to myself, he is trying to impress me. He's creating theatre and uh, he's telling me a story about who he thinks he is, who he believes he is. Kirk Docker, the creative. Kirk Docker creates stories around things where people might be marginalised. So you can marginalise me now, Mark, if you want. Mm. But I don't give a fuck Mm. because this is my living. This is what I do and Mm. this is who I am. Which one is it or am I completely off scale there?
0: Well, there probably there's probably an element of truth in both. And at the end of the day, look at all those different things that you've found and deducted and what does all that add up to? Maybe it's someone that's intriguing, someone that's interesting and um, maybe that's also part of it too that um, I want people to be maybe interested and curious in me too because that's sort of what I want to Find out from you. I'm interested and curious about the people I interact with. So, um, I suppose it's been a. I think I've been like this for a long time um, in terms of dress. It hasn't just been something that I've stumbled across. I'm mean? interested in fashion. I'm interested in how I look. I'm interested in, the theater, in those sorts of the things. The is. Yes, theater, that's right. It's a, and it's also a way to be creative. It's also a way to to be unique. Um, it's also a way to. Um, uh, be on top of what's happening in the world. Um, because I think if you're going to create work, you need to be aware of what's happening in the world, you need to have opinions. Um, and so all that sort of links into how you look. Um, if you it, as soon as you start copying, I think people can smell a rat. So I believe in stealing. You know, I believe in going, or borrowing. Yeah, and borrowing going—that's a fantastic idea. Or well, that—that idea is sort of quite good. But if I would tweak it this way, and if I take that third idea and put it together, I can make something new. And so, looking at things with a with an analytical eye, um, and I think that's that's part of the fun of and the theatre of of how you dress too, um, is creating a an experience that that you are out in the world. That's interesting. So, like, I I come from a world.
1: Not today, not in this business, but I'm um, more of a chameleon. So I will dress depending on the business I'm in. Mm. This is more comfortable for me, the way yeah. I dress now. But um, I'm sure you wear something that shows off your physique. Uh, it's tight, it's, uh, t- tight outfits uh, or not loose outfits. Well-fitting. D- you know, Well-fitting shows that you're in certain fit. environments, yeah. So I was looking at a photograph of myself, funnily enough, in one of the branches, the Yellow Big Row branches, uh, only yesterday. So... 60 Minutes We're doing a filming a thing and, and, uh, and I looked at this photograph of myself and it's like fucking life-size, like a scary dude. And uh, it was when they made The Celebrity Apprentice. Mm. So it's pretty old. And uh, so I'm like 10 years younger or something like that. But they've kept this photograph up in this particular branch of ours and I've got a suit on and I'm standing shoulders out and head back and I'm looking like a full-on, like i got a stick up my ass. Mm. And uh, I don't dress like that very much anymore unless I'm doing something for that business and and it's with TV just to align the two images because I didn't want to do something too radical that might turn people off, what they liked in the first place. Um, but that was an image that was created for me by the show. Mm. In fact, the whole show was about image. It was about saying you're fired, you know, and you had to point a certain way. There was a fran- it was a global franchise mm. that Trump created w- along with um, – uh, MGM or whoever else, whoever ran the franchise. And, um, the whole image, the way I spoke, the way I addressed the audience, my audience being celebrities at, at that time, um, everything I did, um, was image based. And to be honest with you, none of it was real. Mm. Did well, it feel but, weird uh, doing all that? It was fucking terribly weird. Like they would one photograph, so I'd be standing there with Sophie Monk, for example, who won. Every time someone won, I had to get all these special photographs of the person who won. And, uh, And you had to sort of pretend like you're, not that I was unhappy to be with her, but you had to pretend you were really happy to be with her. Well, shit. I'm getting really excited now because it was really a weird space to be in for me um, Mm. from where I grew up and like sort of how I project myself, generally speaking. But I had no trouble doing it either.
0: I was Mm. comfortable doing it um, because I was playing a game. And And they probably- You're not. You're being real. They weren't, yeah. And they weren't painting you in a negative way I suppose like I've done small amount of stuff on doing some reality tv shows and uh, you know producing on it and one of the things that you do on reality tv shows is after you've shot it all and you get these comments about blah 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 you know the producers go back and they write a script they need these links you know and then I turn around the corner and I saw the biggest haul I'd ever seen or whatever the hell the line is to make the story make sense and you'd give the list of um the, the script or you'd repeat the script to the to the talent, then they have to repeat it. And they go, I'd never say it that way. And that's always one of the protests. I would never say it that way because they don't want to be represented in a way that doesn't feel real to them, even though they are playing a character. So that is a common feeling. And I think that's true for everyone. People want to be – and this is really the – the the core of almost everything that I do, and and having spoken to hundreds and hundreds of people over, you know, five hundred people on you can't ask that alone, let alone thousands of other people I've interviewed over the years. I feel like there's a core, um, there's a core value that we all share, and that's the desire to be understood. Doesn't matter what we're into, what we believe. We want to be understood, whether we're into weird fetishes or whether we're into something very, very boring to someone else, we want to be understood for who we are. And part of my role as an interviewer is to ask questions so that I can understand that person as best I can. So I think that it all comes, everything, how we act and whatever we project if we ask the right questions, it's all about trying to understand who am I? What do I believe in? What do I stand for? Um, what's been my experience? What do I think the way that I think? Um, all that sort of stuff. And, and through the interview, sometimes you ask questions that make someone have, and this is the best interviews you make someone have a revelation in that interview that they hadn't thought about. You ask them a question and they think about their life in a way they haven't thought about before. And they come away going, wow, right. Yeah, that is true for me. Or I didn't think about it that way. Um, so that's what I'm ultimately looking to do understand someone and then hopefully ask the right questions where they have a revelation and grow from that experience.
1: What's interesting for me as I'm speaking to you is that I'm thinking to myself, will Kirk do the interview here on me or is he going to let me do the interview on him? Is he that <laughs> fucking good? Like, because that's, I do that myself when i get interviewed like a, a strange story to thing on me and i made sure i just told them exactly what you could find in the newspaper and not one skerrick more mm. cuz i didn't want them knowing any more about me why do you think people like me and maybe like you i don't know i'll leave that in reserve or park that cleverly only portray what they want to be portrayed and they hold what it is they don't want to portray
0: well someone like yourself i suppose it's you've you know curated an image over a series of time, an image that you want to project. There's you know social media, and this is this is the potent, This is the image you want to put out there to do the work that you need to do. Um, but maybe they haven't asked you the right questions, you know. And um, you know, what have you got to hide, really? You know, why would you be scared of revealing more about yourself? What what is that?
1: Me I'm mean, yeah. you asked me the question? Yeah, what what I'm what, not what? I'm not scared of hiding, but I just gaming it. Yeah, right. I like playing the game. I like gaming games. I like to game interviewers. I like to see what they I want to see if they can do it. I'm I'm wondering if you're doing that to
0: me now. Yeah, I don't think that's everyone's thing. I think you know you're in a position where you've been interviewed a lot of times and um you've heard the questions before, you may be bored of the same questions, you may think, oh, this person hasn't done much research or whatever it is. Totally, I like get bored, so I game it, I yeah. game myself. Whereas I think for me, most people that I speak to, and I'm not generally that interested in speaking to people with profile or people, celebrities, that sort of stuff, because there's plenty of shows who do that sort of stuff. Um, I'm interested in speaking to people who don't, get asked questions of, um, the, the quietest person in the room and, and people who normally speak on behalf of them. If you think about the people who come on our show, you can't ask that, um, whether it's ICE users, people with Down syndrome, uh, people with schizophrenia, um, suicide attempt survivors, blah, 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 blah. Most of the time, if you see content around these topics, there's experts, there's friends and family, there's doctors, everyone is speaking about these people except for the people themselves. And the whole purpose of You Can't Ask That was to go, we don't want to hear any of those people. We just want to hear people with firsthand experience. Pass the mic to the person, the quietest person in the room and let them speak for themselves. And, you know, do all these people with this label think the same? Well, no, if you actually ask questions and listen and actually give a shit, to what they actually have to say. You'll start finding that not all Aboriginal people um, feel the same about the word indigenous. Not all Aboriginal people have the same opinion about welcome to country. Everyone has nuanced ideas, but everyone's so concerned with saying the right thing that no one's really willing to go in and, and, and I suppose look at the nuance of someone, ask the questions to understand that you know, particular person. So to come back to what you're saying, um, the people I speak to often don't get a voice, and so they come in for the first time going, my God, someone is actually willing to listen to who I am and I'm going to use this opportunity, this platform to say what I need to say. Now, sure, they might, um, they might hold some things back, um, but that's all about how comfortable they feel about the whole world knowing everything about them. And so it's baby steps. Some people are more comfortable than others. Um, some people are more accepting of who they are than others. Um, but generally I'm looking for people to come on my show who own who they are. If there's any doubt of who they are or whether this label that they have, you're not quite sure whether they exist, that they may not be the right person for my show. So, um, not every single person is right. I need them to own their story. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful thing if you can own your story.
1: Why? Where did that idea come from? Like originally, I went, were you just sort of sitting around one day with you and your team or just on your own or somebody and you just thought, wouldn't it be a good idea to get these particular individuals on a show and actually try to understand the story?
0: How did that all arise? I think I've always been interested in unusual people, um, people who are on the fringes, um, people that you might turn your nose up to, to topics, to ideas that we don't understand. You, you don't have to go far back 15 years ago. 2007s when YouTube started. Um, before that, our only access to media was five free-to-air channels. So if you wanted to see anything unusual, or peculiar, um, or understand something that wasn't going to rate on commercial television, it was very, very difficult to find those sorts of topics. So I was very intrigued by things like heroin addiction. You know, the Herald Sun would go, "This many people have died this week compared to the, you know, the road toll," or it, it'd always be. You know, painted in doom and gloom, or it'd be glamorized by something like The Sopranos. Look at my gold syringe. Look at blah blah blah. But it's like, what's the truth? Where's that truth sit in there? So, um, for me, I was very very interested in understanding people on the fringes, people that were judged, um, people that we felt scared by, and go, hang on, how did this person get to this point in time? They were born, you know, as an innocent child, and and they've gone through this path and and ended up in this way or that way. So. I was interested in understanding these sorts of people. Um, So I think that's always existed. And then- For you, always. For me, yeah. And I found like-minded people that- that had those same queries, you know, so I've worked with those people. I've found collaborators who who had those same questions and made content with people who who were excited by understanding something that maybe scared us or that we didn't understand. Um, and as you go further into that rabbit hole, you know, you start wanting to understand more and more extreme things going, well, someone's into this thing called medical play. Well, what does that What's that all about? You know, how do you get to that? Or, um, you know, why would someone want to take their own life? Rather than be scared by having that conversation, why don't we have a real conversation about that and understand it? So um, You Can't Ask That really came out of a couple of areas. And like I said before, I think a lot of good ideas come from combining other ideas. We did a, a segment on a show I'm called Hungry Beast, which I work with Andrew Denton. He was the EP on the show and they got together 15 young uh, content makers from around the country. This is in 2009 um, to go, if you could create a show together, what would you do? And we all came together and designed this show together. And my segment on the show, one of my segments anyway, was to do a vox pop. Vox pops typically at that point in time were quite boring pieces of content. Totally. Go out, ask someone. What do you think about the latest political poll? What do you think about this? You're sort of almost setting someone up to fail. You're asking them, um, you're testing their knowledge on, on, um, on current affairs or what they think about this or what they think about that. Whereas we thought rather than ask, test someone's knowledge, how about if we go out into the street and ask big universal questions about life? What do you fear? When was the last time you cried? Um, when did you lose your innocence? Questions that everyone has an answer to. And what we found and we went all around the country. We'd set up our little set, little black backdrop in the street and put our camera there and we'd stop people who walk past them and say, "Hey, I want to ask you a couple of questions." Wouldn't tell them what they were and and we'd start, "What stresses you out?" You know, and we and we'd have a dialogue. You know, you know, what do you most fear in your life? And what we started realizing was doesn't matter where you were in a rich suburb, poor suburb, rural, city. People started telling these stories about their life that we could connect to. Here's this person looks completely different from me, yet they're telling this story that I can connect to this universal theme, this idea of fear or this idea of losing innocence or or crying or whatever it happened to be. Um, so we love this idea of going ha- universalizing people. Let's take someone that we don't understand and let's find a way to find a link and and realized actually we have a whole lot more in common with this random person who walked past in the street than I realized. So we sort of took this idea and combined it with these forums that started popping up online on Reddit and whatever, ask me anything. So someone would go on there blind and they'd say, ask me any question. And we love this idea where someone would go and say, ask me any question. So we thought, how about we combine these two ideas and if we can – Take someone that's misunderstood and marginalised. How can we universalize their experience? How can we go, here's this person looks so different, but in actual fact, if you have a conversation with them, they have similar wants and needs. They, have, they, they want to be loved. They want to be understood. Um, and they've just happened to go on through a different pathway than you or me. But when you actually break it down, you go, man, this guy is, or this, this, this woman is, is so similar to me. They just happened to have this label that I was putting all my stereotypes and my judgments on. But it's actually not that crazy or that complex if you if you have a real conversation about it.
1: I got a four year old grandson and last weekend all he did was ask me why all weekend I'm starting to feel like him. But <laughs> wh- why do you feel as though you want to share what you film, their story with the rest of the community, or you don't give a shit who listens to it. I mean, no, you, I care uh, a lot
0: who listens to it. So you want you would, lo- I mean, you want me to listen to it, for example, or, or you are yes. only interested in those people who are interested to listen to it. No, I think the discipline, and this is what I'm learning as I get older and more into the into the work, is that how do you create something that you care about intensely? And we cared about this. We thought that these conversations, these interactions, can change the way people think about people they can, here's a person they judged. And if they watch our program, they can come out at the end and go, huh, I got that all wrong. That person's quite inspiring or quite amazing, or I got that completely wrong about that person. And I've changed my mind about them. Um, we have a, we have the opportunity, almost a million people watch our show by the time you sort of online and pull it all together. A million people are watching our program and are hopefully having their minds challenged, changed. Um, hopefully those people then go and speak to other people and having those conversations further. So, you know, the media is a very, very, um, amazing place where you can actually create change. You can make people think differently. You can challenge their beliefs. So we're very um, keen on, you know, I'm very keen on doing that. I'm keen on making content that challenges what you think um, that makes you consider the world in a different way. So, I care deeply about the audience um, and and cre- try like as I said before, I think the discipline is creating an idea that you you care intensely about that's accessible to the largest number of people. Early on, I sort of believe that oh, if I just make niche content, if I find all those niche people around the world, well maybe I 'll have twenty million people, and that 's fantastic, but then it 's sort of like well've you know that, that audience already believes what I believe they're converted that's right, whereas if I can get someone that doesn't typically watch. The ABC, or doesn't typically watch this sort of content, or wouldn't normally tune in to watch eight people with Down syndrome talk about what it feels like, but come away with a new understanding. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to look for the largest possible audience, um, so that you can have the greatest impact. You know, like you, you're putting six, seven months of your life, um, every single day, all your waking time, thinking about it. What would be the point of doing that if a the series? No if yeah, if no one watches it no one listens to it. Let me
1: ask you this though, are you just trying to put the discussion, the topic and the point of view on the table or are you trying to influence the audience's view or
0: or one step further are you trying to change the audience's view? I think we're trying to do a few things. I think we're trying to educate for sure. Um so here's in an influential way? Yes. You know, here's this question. Um you know, blind people. How do you know you're not dressed like an idiot? Well, this is, this is how we do it. You know, we, I have little markers that we have on our t-shirts, which tells what color it is. And, you know, I care deeply how I look and I ask opinions and whatever it happens to be there, answer that question. So you're going, oh, right. This is how eight people answer that question. Cool. So hopefully you're coming away with some education, but also I think you have to create, you know, if you want to create content that has any impact, it needs to be entertaining, you know, it needs to have light and shade. There needs to be laughs. Um, there needs to be fuck me moments. You know, that was a term that we used to banter about in, um, in, in Hungry Beast days, creating content where people go and it's sitting at home going, fuck me. I can't believe that person just said that. Wow. You know, that made me, you know, like we just did an episode on porn stars. And um, I know my grandma watches my show, 95 years old. And my mum gets very concerned about the fact that my grandma's watching the show. And so um, they were sitting at home, mum and dad watching it, and every time you know, they were saying something quite out there, we had a question, what does a porn set smell like? Well, they, you know, they, they went into explicit detail about what a porn set smells like and ultimately ended up by saying, for us, it smells very sexy. Um, but every time they would answer these sorts of questions, mum would be out of her seat and walking out of the room and my dad would be you know, ribbing her, going, "What will your mother be thinking about this?" You know, <laughs> um, so you know, we want these, we want these "fuck me" moments. We want moments which make people feel a bit uncomfortable or make them uh, challenge their own beliefs. Um, and that's not going to be for everyone, but you know, that's part of the fun too. Putting something on television, which we go, "Wow, that's a bit dangerous."
1: Is there, what about censorship? Like, do you get censored? I mean, or, or is everything okay? Well, no,
0: we don't get censored. Um, we're on at nine o'clock at night, so it's an ma rating so we you know it goes through the classification board um there's a series of things that you have to do when you're on the abc to to get something to wear so there's a there's an editorial policy um, which which protects people in a sense so if someone comes on and makes an accusation um, on the abc that person you know the other person has a right of reply but on our show it's just this one direction you know so we have to be aware if someone makes an accusation so we have to sort of maybe edit it in a way where um the editorial standards of the abc are upheld But in terms of, um, you know... Taboo topics. Taboo topics, no. The more taboo, the better. Well... Yeah, things which push buttons for sure. Um, but definitely people have been fearful. You know, we've t- spoken about, um, things which are around say suicide, you know, people get very fearful about what are the impacts of this and will this cause a ripple effect? And so, you know, we do work with organizations um, we do show uh, our content to certain people to get advice, to make sure that what we're putting out is responsible. um, but at the end of the day, I sort of feel like if we're asking the questions you can't ask and that person answers it and they're happy with their answer, who are we to censor their answer? You know, as best we can, we want to represent how they feel about a topic, even if it makes people feel uncomfortable because that's what they believe and that's what they want to put out there.
1: Is Kirk and was he always... It? A daredevil? Are you like a? It's like is this your like you're a mountain climber, with not climbing a face, a rock face without any ropes? <laughs> but but I'm, I'm talking about it in not terms of what you things. do. You know, like because that's pretty fucking wild shit. Like a lot of people just be too scared to do it. Just yeah. like a lot of people were too scared to climb a rock face without a rope, or without a, a harness. Is that your deal? Like, and by the way, the more you do, do you sort of descend into or ascend one way or the other, um, into something more daring? I mean, do you ever get bored and say, "Fuck, I got to find something
0: more edgy"? No, but I think at the, I wouldn't say I'm a daredevil. Like, I'm not really that interested in bungee jumping, that sort of crap. No, but I, I, mean, I don't mean literally. <laughs> I mean, um, uh, as uh, I a want way to be describing excited. what you do. I want to be excited. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've consumed a lot of things. There's yeah. not a lot of content out there that impresses me. So, that's my one, that's one point. Yeah. Yeah. There's how a lot you, of, there's how little, to you control that? Yeah. I, I want to be impressed. I want to see stuff that makes me excited. But um, how I How far suppose, down the, the slippery dip do yeah, you go, though? I think being excited by something is not necessarily just daredevil content. It's, it's um, I get excited by ideas. I get excited by- um, yeah, how someone might weave a story like there was a there's a fantastic um, documentary I watched last year called some kind of heaven which was um, shot in the world's largest let's say it's the world's largest America's largest retirement village and it's um it's it's sort of like spring break for like 65 year olds and they're all there in golf carts driving around doing Coo-coo. all this stuff, you know. And for me and the way they shot it was just it it looked like it was a, a feature film but it was it was a documentary. For me it excited me because it was like, wow, the access they got and the way they shot this and it was playful. It was it was funny. Like I you know I love the wisdom of of older older um, people, and um, you know, not giving a shit and saying what they really think and whatever. So, um, l- watching these people as they're living their dream and you know, living like a spring break in their in their sixties and seventies, I was like, man, I I would love to have been amongst that and filmed that. So it, it doesn't always have to be about crazy topics, but um, when you see people. Um, expressing honestly and authentically and, and real, that's where I want to be. You know, I would love, I was just talking about this yesterday. I would love to do, um, of anyone, uh, on the tennis circuit at the moment, I would love to do a documentary on Novak Djokovic. I think he's a really, really interesting character that, that ultimately just, I feel like wants to be loved and hasn't quite worked out that path. And he has this villain tag that, um, that, that seems to follow him around, but I feel like if you sort of could, Dig into him and understand him better. There'd be something very, very interesting to learn. Um, War torn background, you know, thirty five years old and still like supreme athlete. Like, there's all these interesting elements I would love to unpack. You know, around him. So I suppose I'm I'm interested. I'm interested in life. Um, that's what excites me more than maybe say being a daredevil. Um, how yeah. much of this is about what's fair
1: and what's unfair? So like, you know, curiosity. Tells everyone about his story. We all know everything about him sort of thing. I mean, I guess we don't, but we we sort of do. Um, whereas Djokovic is um, sort of within himself to sort of has built a bit of a wall around himself mm. and it looks a bit unfair. Maybe it's unfair. I mean, do you f- feel like he's been unfairly treated or and others who you have on your show are unfairly treated either by – by what they do or what they represent or which cohort they belong to, et cetera. And your game is to put some education around it, some information around it, and so that they are portrayed and or their cohort is portrayed more fairly. Cause that's at the end of the day, if I understand you, then
0: I will treat you more fairly. That's right. And what are we potentially missing out on, on understanding? What, what can we, what can we sort of steal from those people if you actually have a real conversation? What, what can, can you I learn? use, you mean? Yeah. For myself? Exactly. What can you use for yourself? Um, we were talking before this, um, before we started recording about some extreme fetishes. And what I think is interesting about people who have extreme fetishes is that they've actually had the courage to take the chance to run with something that 99% of the people would turn their nose up to. And how do they how do they work that out to take that risk to go for it to ultimately find something that they love? How many of us out there have not taken a risk and are we missing out on something that would be blowing our minds because we haven't got the courage to maybe do something that goes against the grain. So I'm interested in going, what can I learn from you? You know, we did an episode on cheaters, you know, had a whole lot of people on, um, on, online going, I can normally empathize with people on this TV show, but I can't empathize with these people. Cheat is being someone who cheats on somebody else. On, yeah. On someone else. And you're like, okay, so let's unpack what this word empathy means. First of all, empathy is not about agreeing with the person. It's not about compassion. It's not about sympathy. Empathy is about understanding how that person feels and how they see the world. So let's look at someone who cheats on someone. Well, Forget the act and whether you agree with cheating or not and all the biases that exist in your body because you've been cheated on or your parents have been, your dad cheated on, your mom, or whatever it is that you have all these fears around it. You know, I can empathize with someone who's cheated because I can understand maybe the experience of, of uh, doing something stupid when you're drunk. You know, I've been there, done that. Okay, well, how, you know, how can I connect on your experience? Or maybe taking a chance, maybe hurting someone you love. There's many, you know, of, of chasing after love of making a mistake, like there's many things that I can empathise with that experience of cheating. and As in an understand. As an, you know, go, oh, I can understand, God, so you made this huge mistake. Far out. What happened next? So what, le- what learnings can I take from this person if I can go past the barrier of, you know, my disagreeing with what they've done? Let's get to the part where you've moved through it. Okay, then how did you grow from that? How did you grow from that? And then, you know, when you got to the end of the stories of all these people, you know, some of them had done amazing work on themselves. They'd work with um, marriage counselors, and they'd they they'd progressed in their relationships to a to a new level that most of us probably haven't had the courage to to go and see a counselor or, or work through that stuff. And they had all these amazing lear- learnings at, through going through this experience of cheating. Um, so if we can, you know, move past the the judgments, we can get to that that stuff where we can learn. And then we can bring those learnings into your own life, hopefully, and and make yourself a better person. Like we're all listening to these personal development podcasts all over the place. Um, I sort of get to do that on a on a daily basis by having real conversations with people.
1: Do you therefore have to park judgments, ethics, morals? Would I mean I don't know what the fuck that all this stuff means, but like, you know, you, something you got brought up with some standards, or do you have to park those things in terms of? Having an open enough mind to talk to the individual, for example, let's say the individual who you and I talked about pre the recording, who had a sexual fetish about yes. various things, okay, um, things which most people might be a little bit uh, disgusted by and or or, or definitely um, confronted by. Um, do you have to park your ethics and park and you know things standards you would apply to yourself? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're pretty pretty happy to do no, things. But
0: I'm excited. You I'm excited. excited. You get excited, excited about excited. what, learning about that
1: shit? Yes. or Like literally
0: shit? Yes. The learning about that? Yes, by going, can I create an environment where that person feels comfortable enough to tell me their truth? You mean a trap? <laughs> well, I don't. It's okay. So it's a it's a non-harmful trap. I don't think of it that way. I, I think of it as in I genuinely care about you. You know, I right. genuinely care the people I interview, I, I talk about this idea of interviewing with love. I I really love this person that I'm speaking to. Or is it to. just coercion though? I'm on their side. You know, Are I'm you sure? I'm I'm asking questions. I want them to look great. You yeah. know. I want Why? them to be great. Why? Because I think
1: that better for your show or better for them or better. I think f- both better for the audience. I think I think, I
0: think, All I think everyone wins. Or the above. All I the above. think above. everyone wins. Okay. Yeah, you know, when someone's being interviewed. All they want to do is a good job like i said they want to be understood they want to be articulate they want to be funny um they want to make sense so my role as the interviewer is to help them do that help them get across what they need to get across now i'm talking about the types of interviews i do Mm. you know this is not if i was a shock jock you know if i was 60 minutes there's a series uh, that's right there's a there's a different series of of what you're trying to achieve yeah, yeah, with yeah, the interview yeah. but with my what i'm trying to achieve is i'm trying to understand someone so that my audience can understand them and hopefully reduce judgment on someone so that we can all walk around and stop bloody casting judgment on everyone that we see and actually give a shit and be nice to people for a change
1: because i think coercion is there's nothing wrong with coercion if as long as the outcome you're trying to achieve through the coercion is okay. I mean, it's, you know, I called it a trap before I just playing around, but you know, there's nothing wrong with influencing the train of thought in order for that individual that you're talking to, to tell their story. Um, As shocking as it may be, it doesn't really matter because shock is comes about as a result of the ethics we hold in our own brain about what we've been told standards like what's we're used to and all of a sudden something comes out that's completely different, shocks us um, because we're not used to it. It's not part of our standard. I don't have a problem with coercion because to some extent theatre is coercive. I mean the theatre you create is coercive. I mean you've got to drag – sometimes you've got to convince the individual you're speaking to, you're interviewing, to share their stuff in a what is safe –
0: all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: Safe environment. It doesn't matter. They're still going to get judged by people who, who are watching. People still make a judgment. The judgment might be, look, there's nothing wrong with this particular individual. That's right. I judge, judge you in a positive way. Right. Um, so, but in order to get that, you have to convince the person, coerce the person. Um
0: produce them direct them and you also have to understand what they want out of the experience how do you find that out through pre-interviewing you know so some people might want the simple thing of their story to be told and uh and and certain elements of that story to get out there so um I, I, we had an episode last week um, which was kids have been locked up in juvenile detention And um, we had a gentleman on who was um, selling heroin uh, as a teenager in Cabramatta um, as part of Vietnamese gangs there and, um, and had a complete transformation in his early 20s, found God and became a preacher. And so he wanted that element of his story to be told. He said, often when I tell this story, they cut that bit out. They just put the scandalous parts in that and they don't put that bit in and I thought it was important that we made sure that we told that part of his story it was part of the it was the almost the unsaid deal about getting him on that, that he wanted this part of his story to be put out there and I and I you know we respected that um, some people have other things that they want out of the experience um, some people may want, might want notoriety or fame um, some people um, might want this story to be told so they can show their kids when their kids are at a point where they can maybe understand their story. So it's never just a take, take, take. Um, and I think the other thing too, is we, we do analyze whether someone is in a, is in the right spot to tell a story. Um, I'm not just there to, hoodwink them and get them on and, and realize that this is possibly going to be a really, really bad experience for them. Um, so you are aware of that. We work with a psychologist, independent of the show too, who might speak to someone who might come back to us and say, we don't think that they, they're too delicate to maybe tell this story. So, you know, there is some ethics around putting this person's story out there. But at the end of the day, I think that it's important to be honest about who you are and um, good things come if you own your own story and you tell the truth of who you are. Who's a
1: great storyteller that that you've studied or watched or been enthralled by and we talk about Homer, the Odyssey, the Iliad, what are you talking about here? Have you ever
0: looked at these things or you you haven't? Um, Storytelling in general, I think in person one of the best storytellers I ever have been in the presence of is jim steins the old afl football player from ireland yeah um he started the organization called the reach foundation down in melbourne um which you know which i became a part of for a period of time but essentially he ran these workshops with young kids um the whole point of these workshops was to understand who you were as a person look at the light and shade of who you are and challenge that he was an incredible storyteller um in terms of being able to hold a room and tell a story, um, knew all the beats to hit, knew how to interweave humor, you know? And I think that's a really important lesson I've learned from him is that, um, you know, our show, you can not ask, that could be really, really worthy. It could be boring, you know, because if you didn't want to put the risky stuff out there or there wasn't laughs, you know, people deal with life with humor, even if you've gone through the most full on experience, um, if you there's often black humor involved there's there's ways to find laughs so we're looking for that light and shades so that was a big lesson i learned from jim is to weave in humor into your story and 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 change the mood you know what you're trying to do with a story if you're a good storyteller um i think is educate entertain um you know inspire but also um not say so much detail that the person who's listening is, you know, their head swimming, that they don't really know, you know. You know, people who are bad storytellers tell you every single little tiny bit of detail, you know, and you start getting bored by that story. So being able to trim, curate that story, have a meaning for it, have a punchline. Um, but ultimately if you come back, um, they have a reason for telling that story. You know that story um, has meaning to them, or it excites them, or they care deeply about it. And if there's a, there's if there's an ultimate reason behind that story, I think that's the starting point. That's very, very important. Because today, why of- do you care? You know, why do you care to tell this story? If you can't answer that, why are you telling the story?
1: Because today, like storytelling, is a big part of your brand. Because everyone keeps talking about brand, tell a story, and of course, all the mediums about that these days, and and You talked about authenticity. Mm. Um, what do you think, or why do you think authenticity is so important today? Is it because we're so used to being dealt out the same fucking story over and over again from television, you know, through TV shows, TV series, movies, all that sort of stuff? It's the same thing being over told over and over again. And I said at home before. The whole story about the Odyssey has been told a thousand times. I thought you meant and the thousands. Simpsons. <laughs> home deal. is very authentic. But but, 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 like, it's the same deal. It's the same story, you know, like, um, someone get. Wins against all odds and ends up getting back home to see his family, etc. But mm. you know, all the odds of getting there are against him, him or her. Are your is authenticity about getting around all that sort of stuff and not when you tell your own stories about trying not to be so obvious? You know, so well. I grew up as a poor kid, but I made it at the end of the day, and here I am. And you can listen to me and make a whole lot of money too. I Mean all that shit that everybody goes on about is about getting away from that because your stuff seems to be on the, on the edges, you know, you can't ask that is about marginalization. A lot of times there's a lot of marginalized individuals talking about their story. Mm -hmm. Are you
0: trying to move away from the
1: overtold stories?
0: Yes. I'm trying to move away from people, uh, talking in rote people, um, being too rehearsed, um, people being too media trained. You know, one of the beautiful things about the mobile phone is that, you know, the barrier to creating content has disappeared now. You know, 15 years ago you wanted to make content where you had to have cameras and, you know, you need to know how to use that stuff and you, you had to buy mini DV tapes and then you need to digitise that onto your computer and there was a whole lot of stuff you needed to understand. You know, you needed some money. you know. um, Now you can film anything on your, on your phone. The problem with it is that everyone um, in some respects has become an actor you know, they've, um, they put on a show, they, you know, they, they become media trained and you notice the difference if you interview someone in the city versus if you go out into the country a bit, people a little bit more themselves, you know, they've got less to hide. They're trying to less curate their image. They're just like, take it or leave it. This is who I am. So for me, what I'm trying to do, um, in any of my interviews is try and get past that media training, try to get past the, um, Polish, the, the Polish. Yeah. But I don't know,
1: I, I, am I getting past it? Because, I mean, like, talking about moody training, I mean, you were you, with Denton for a while, you've got your own, you know, kill show series, you're an expert in this shit. I mean, am I getting the authentic Kirk Docker or am I getting the produced Kirk Docker? I mean, you're too good at it. Like,
0: I don't where, think I've got, got anything kind of, to hide.
1: No, no, I'm not saying you but, have, but in terms of am I getting the real deal? Of course. Of course you are. Um, but your notes, I mean, why you got notes? What well, did you want to tell me that's in the notes that I haven't asked? For example, I mean, what was it? Why is it important? Something in your story that you wanted to get across in
0: this discussion? Because I'm really curious about that. Well, you know, your producer sent me some areas that we might talk about. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I think about this. Like, I want, I want to do a – I'm working on a small project at the moment where I interview interviewers about interviewing.
1: Interview, yeah.
0: yeah, Right. right. And um, what I realised about um, – Asking people about how they do what they do is that you need to have done some deep thinking around how you do what you do. You may not have that at the top of your head. Um, so to go back to what I was talking about before, those big universal questions, you know, what do you fear? When was the last time you cried? These sorts of questions. They're not testing knowledge. They're they're asking questions about you. Uh, about experiences that you've had. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Um, there's no one to compare it to. What you say, if you answer the question, what do you fear, is just what you want to share. Um, whereas if I, if you're asking me questions about technique or you're asking me questions about theory, um, I suppose you need to have some thoughts around that. You want to be coherent. Um, y- you may not just have that there you know, in your mind. So I suppose with some of the questions you, you know, were sent to me were around some of those thoughts, you know, how do you become a better storyteller? Um, so I just wanted to make sure that I offered interesting stuff, stuff that I believed had thought through it a little bit more so than just relied on whatever just popped into my head. I suppose that's why I had some notes in this instance. All of it is my own thoughts, my own theories, but um, some of these ideas require some deeper thinking. What do you fear? <sighs> What do I fear? I think what what I fear, and then what ultimately drives me, is um, is uh, not making the most of the the opportunities the, that I have. So, um, not taking the chances that I have in front of me, and 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 um, and ultimately fulfilling, I suppose, what I see as my my own destiny
1: you mean wasting opportunities
0: yeah yeah so I fear getting to a certain age and going what could have been if I'd applied myself if I'd if I'd gone down this path if I'd if I'd um if I hadn't have uh, if I'd worked harder or whatever it happens to be um, are those fears unfounded um, you know am I are they becoming less so um, possibly because you know, one of the things you learn as you start making things is that the end result when you hand it in is not the best bit. Um, the best bit is finding this particular fantastic talker. Having For that, you. Yeah. 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 You realize that those things are there, you know, but it's hard not to feel um, the pressure of people going, so you've had, the, you've done this fantastic thing. What's next? What do you want to do? And you're like, okay, I do. I I have this amazing opportunity. I can go and have a a meeting with a producer now, or a network, or I could pitch this to Netflix or whatever it is. What am I going to do? What am I going to say next? So I feel the pressure of, in some respects, what do I want to say next? What do I want to put my energy towards? How can I build on what I've done already to to do something next? Um, so I suppose that that's what that's what I fear is not making the the most of this the opportunities I have. And,
1: uh, do you fear about things about at home? Do you worry about, you don't spend enough time with your kid or, no. your, or your wife or your partner, or you need to do more education, learn about more shit. I mean, do you worry about that? Or you worry about your age? I mean, not an old job but like you, you start to think shit, you know, maybe I've only got 40 years left on this planet.
0: Hurry I up. No, I don't think so. Um, What's I used impending? to, I used to be concerned about it, wanting to hit certain landmarks by certain ages, but then I think um, that's I sort pretty, pretty of,
1: prescriptive. That's pretty prescriptive
0: that. Yeah. But then I sort of thought that you look at the, you look at the greats and um, I sort of feel like my prime is say 35 to 65, you know, like that's, and, and everything up to that point is, is, is learning and growth and, so I feel like I'm only sort of just kicking into that now. I feel like that the, there's it's it's at the beginning of of all the good things, you know. So um, it's You're hard in a
1: perfect to, spot by the sound of that, right? it.
0: Yeah, yeah, like S- sweet spot. I'm working it out. I'm working it out. I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to balance working six months of the year and then and then spending six months of the year doing other projects that I want to work on. Um, yeah, fears are an interesting. I, I suppose I don't spend too much time worrying about fears.
1: What is fear to you? I mean, what, I, mean I would like to know what you think fear is. I mean, like p- people talk about fear of failure, um, you know, fear to fear to take a risk, um, fear to do something is outside of your normal pattern. I mean, it, it's a big topic. Um, but how do you assess fear? Because when I asked you the question, you just you sat there for a moment. You just, I thought you were going to say I don't fear anything.
0: Yeah. I think fears are ultimately things that hold you back. Um, so. Um, fear of doing a good job here today means that I may bring in anxiety that means that that I that I don't do as good a job as, as if I had come in without fear. And that fear of not doing a good job today could be based on the fact I haven't done the work leading into it. Does so it mean you, you care too much?
1: Is it fear re- relation, uh, a close relation to care, how much you care?
0: Is it a close relationship to how maybe much you care? Maybe if I don't care? care, I
1: don't have any fears.
0: Yeah, maybe. If
1: I don't give a shit, I don't fear anything.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But maybe yeah. you care a lot. Of course I, yeah, I care deeply. It seems that way to me. Like yeah, I, I, I care deeply.
1: I care deeply. Um, about lots of things, lots of people, lots of cohorts of people that most people don't even think about. Yeah. And maybe everything's okay because most of us who think that's not okay is because... We care about too much about something, maybe about how someone th- thinks or feels about that particular topic. Perhaps you think everything's okay because you care about that particular individual. You care a lot.
0: Yeah, I care a lot and I can, um, in the moment, I can be in the moment. You know, I think that um, I'm particularly good at that. If so you at, jump in the spot. At being in the moment, of being, of being aware. I think being aware is um, a very important thing to me um your oh, pupils
1: are getting bigger as you're speaking about this was interesting because i'm just watching awareness. you now mm. you're 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 in there now you're not talking to me you're talking to yourself no. and you're just telling me <laughs> what you're thinking <laughs> that's true um but that's really interesting like uh, i can see your eyes lit up um the black part of your eye has become bigger and you
0: got a bit excited about that mm. you do care oh, of course yes deeply. if you convince of he you no, I care. You I care. care deeply. I care deeply. Um... Could you
1: explain it to me? Because a lot of times I think I don't care, and I would actually like to know. What,
0: what, what you do you mean you don't care?
1: A lot of times I don't give a fuck. Maybe because I'm older and I've done everything. I think I've done everything. I've, I've just seen so much shit and so many good and bad things. But I'd like to know what do you mean. But is that not every day though? Most days, right? Most days. I care about doing a good job mm. to my audience, for my audience. But do I care about many things? No. Mm. Do I care that there's a recession perhaps? No. Do I care so therefore I don't have a fear either? Mm. I don't fear it. Is it because i got too much money? No, it's not because of that. I just don't care. And I never have. As a kid, I think back as a kid, I was the same. As a young person, a young, a young boy, I didn't really care about much. I don't mean in a disrespectful way. Mm. I just didn't have that much feeling towards most things. What I'm finding interesting from you, and I asked this of Danny Abdullah the other day when I interviewed him about what how did he feel when he saw his three of his children dead. Um, how did he what does it feel like to experience that loss and to and to cry all the time? Something I don't ordinarily do, um, rarely do. I want to know from you if you share with me, what does that caring feel like? I mean, what do you feel when you care? You care about one of your guests or every one of your guests?
0: I think, see, what's interesting with me is that, um, like I'm, I'm very aware, very, um, I'm very good at, um, at empathizing and, but not getting caught in the emotion of it. And I, I think that's partly how I'm built. So I've never been one to show a lot of emotion and sometimes I was criticized for that. You know, why aren't you in this moment giving more of yourself? And, and I know for a fact that, you know, I get caught in my head, get analytical about it. Um, but it also on the flip side of that allows me to um, be there in the presence of someone and be aware of what they want and need and, and ask questions to help them. Through a, through a thing without getting caught too much in the emotion or getting so caught up in, in caring for them, wanting to give them a hug or anything like that. I realized my role is to um, be there for them and listen to them and try and understand them and ask the next question and ask the next question and ask the next question and, next question and ultimately understand them and, and care for them more in a, a sense of um, playing a role for them. More so than be the person who wants to come up and give them a hug and say everything's okay. So that's that, that's not my style.
1: Yeah, okay. I I'm th- I think that's what I was trying to say to you before. And I'm glad you told me that because you've helped me articulate something. When I say I don't care about things, I don't think I'm someone who can fix things. So if you're here sitting telling me about something that you're experiencing, blah, 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 I'm equally, I'm not going to get up and give you a hug. I don't feel like I want to do that. But what I think my job is is to ask you the questions. To allow you to answer the problem yourself, mm.
0: Mm.
1: is that what you do? You pose questions to help the person you're interviewing resolve and/or at least express to an audience what it is they need to say, or resolve what they need to s- resolve through your questions, not yeah. through answers. Through your questions,
0: there's definitely some of, yeah, there's definitely some of that. Like at the, at the base of it, I'm asking questions to understand something that I don't understand so not being afraid to ask dumb questions not being afraid to look stupid by asking something which makes makes me look like i don't understand them or blah 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 so i'm not concerned about that so ask questions to help understand it and then through asking those questions hopefully i can ask a question that maybe will will give them a revelation will make them understand themselves in a way they hadn't thought about yeah through their own answer or through yes. them thinking about it themselves yes yes
1: so it doesn't mean you really care if you just indulge me for a second what it is is what you want you want an outcome for that particular individual call it care if you want but you want an outcome for that particular individual which should be good for that individual Hmm. by virtue of the little journey you take them on through your interview
0: Hmm.
1: and that is it a process i mean is that like uh you're churning them out like you know you do this all the time this is what you do for a living You you probably do it live. You're doing it with me
0: today. To give you an idea, like I I might spend two to two and a half hours with someone where I know most of it is not going to go to air. So the process of that interview is also about obviously getting good things that are useful to me and making sure they say things which we can put to air, but also allowing them to to say what needs to be said. But I think that, you know, it's not just in the interview space. You know, I'm very, you know, I'm a big people watcher. You know, love sitting at the pub, looking down and watching people, or being at the airport and watching people, being on a train, watching people, and so I feel like I can see someone and and very quickly understand where they're at or their story, and I can I can feel for them. You know, I can, I can, you know, feel if someone is upset in a moment or feel if someone is, is agitated and want to understand that experience. So I feel like I can read people very well and I can, you know, have these little moments where I, you know, someone will push past someone that's clearly upset. I'm like, can't you see, can't you, aren't you so unaware of what's going on outside of your own personal life that you are unaware of this person that's right there? Um, So I don't think it just exists in the interview space. I think that's how I am all the time. Um, but that being said, I could be at the pub, say, on a Friday night, and I cannot be fucked giving that same energy and attention to every single person that I talk to. You know, it takes effort to care. Um, it takes effort to really want to understand someone. And um, it's hard to be like that all the time. It's draining. You have to turn it on. Um and even though it's intrinsically built in me, um, I don't want to be like that all the time. And you do meet people who are happy just to chat and ask questions at any point in time in their life, and that's not that's not me. I um, sometimes I want to be selfish and talk shit with my mates and not you talk have about
1: the footy or the golf or the tennis or the cricket or whatever. Exactly, exactly. So I don't do want to. I don't
0: want to give all the time because it is an element of giving to be on to listen to care to ask the next question, to ask something which helps someone grow, all that sort of stuff means that you have to be very on, you have to be present, um, you have to be giving of yourself. It's not about you. It's not about sharing your stories. It's about understanding this person. And that takes a lot of effort and is, is quite draining. Um, How so, much of
1: it is a performance?
0: It's interesting, it, that one, because, yeah. um, and, and you know, when I do the interviewing interviewers, I want to say talk to Andrew um, Denton about this because, I, I don't have to perform in this instance, you have to perform your voice is there. My voice gets cut out, you know, so I don't necessarily have to, uh, be articulate or say it in a particular way or have to perform in any sort of way. Um, so I think less so for me, um, but, um, you know, I, I, I do shift the energy you know, I can shift the energy in a room. I can be playful. I can be cheeky. I can make them laugh. I can I can pose a question that, um, that you know, like I was talking to. We did an episode on virgins, and um, we had a, a, a young gentleman who um, is a Christian, and he wants to he wants to die a virgin. He wants to walk the steps in the steps of Jesus. Um, Jesus died a virgin, and he wants to do the same thing, and that's his Allegedly. ambition. Yes. So, you know, I was I – was, and, and I felt that he'd told this story quite a few times before um, and I was finding it hard to 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 get past that story that he'd been probably challenged on a lot of times. A lot of people were very dubious about this, maybe this this path that he wanted to have. So he'd, been, he'd become quite defensive about this thing. So I was trying to work a way of how do I break, you know, break that defensiveness? How do I get something real? How to be a bit more cheeky? So I said to him – you know, Jesus had a he was friends with all the sex workers, you know. Correct the me adrenaline. if I'm wrong. Yeah, correct, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. He goes, surely you mayn't have had sex, but surely he got a blow job, or surely, you know, he, he got a little wristy or something from them, you know, all that time they're hanging out together, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, No, definitely not. Anyway, he changed the energy in the space. And um, and uh he, you know he could tell maybe that i wasn't going to go through the same old rote the same old challenges same old questions that maybe everyone else went to him so is that perform- performance or not i don't know it's about it's about breaking energy and so i'll i'll use my questioning or i'll use my um, persona in the interview to to try and break energy to try and maybe help someone become authentic again when they when when they're putting those barriers up
1: or when they get used to a, a program, they become programatized. You know that's the thing they've always worked for everybody, and they think they're going to try it on you. And one of the really good interviewers, and I no doubt you, you, or you already said you knew him, and you got part of, you were part of a, a series that he ran, is Denton. Um, how much do you learn from people like him, um, or did you not learn anything? I mean, like,
0: yeah, we're we're similar and different. I think Andrew's very. Um- and look, I can't speak f- for his entire technique because um, we haven't had a deep conversation about it. But what I know for a fact is that if you think, look at Enough Rope, it was very, very um, researched. Um, they were taking celebrities who had been interviewed many, many times. And how do we get them to maybe say something new, say something different um, uh get out of that roteness of how they might answer all their questions. So it was by doing this vast amount of research, finding these little nuggets, these little gems, and going in and and challenging them on something new. Whereas for me, um, my best work happens in the moment. Um, It's in the listening to what the person says and then asking the next question, hearing the hooks, so someone tells you an answer. So if you think of it, you can't ask that, right? There's 10 questions very, very well-crafted, short, sharp questions that have been submitted by the public. That's that's where we begin. They're but curated pick, by you. Curated by us. Yep. They pick the card up, they read out the question, they answer the question. But everything else that happens in that interview is from what they say in the moment. So I'll say this, I'll say that, explain that a bit more, tell me about that. And that's where I think I'm at my best is is in the listening and, and asking the following questions questions um so in terms of you know and andrew also is 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 funny you know i mean he's he's quick he's got a quick wit and and part of that performance element is that he can throw in a gag he can make the audience laugh he's playing to an audience whereas i don't have to worry about any of that crap you know I can just, I can go down a random rabbit hole that, that maybe other people would find boring. Um, but I can keep going down it because I've got the, the luxury of just going to the edit suite and cutting that out. Um, but I might just be following that train of, train of thought for my own, um, amusement or my own, um, amusement's the wrong word, but for my own, uh, you know, excitement. I'm like, oh, wow, we're going down this weird, peculiar path that maybe, you know, you wouldn't get to if you were doing a shorter, shorter interview. So um anyway, so in terms of um our styles, I think some of my best stuff is in the moment. Um that's what I love is is just is just riffing.
1: Yeah, but that's that's sort of like um you can train as hard as you want. And you, someone can show you all the techniques before you go into a boxing match. And then but at the moment when you jump in, you don't use one thing that you'd practiced because mm. you see openings all the time. Yeah. And then you respond to the openings. So you you don't want to be Overprepared or, or uh
0: too structured yeah i sort of talk about this idea of planning versus in the moment having this plan right well-crafted plan but having the courage to go into the moment but knowing you've got that plan to go back to if you go off track
1: it's risky though
0: yeah so you need to be able to work out how to balance those two that you don't just go so off track that what you're trying to ultimately achieve with your questions goes out the window you know, so I understand what I'm trying to achieve with my ten questions, um, beats I need to hear. You know, things things expressed in a way that makes sense. Um, you know, I know I I have I suppose tricks now or or techniques that I have um, that I've they've got over the years of how do I deal if emotion comes up. How do I how do I unpack that emotion? Um, how do I deal if someone gets aggressive or they don't want to answer something or um they want to challenge me back? So th- there's certain things through practice that you y- almost have ways to do it. Like I said, breaking the pattern before. One of the worst things that I could that I that I hate on my show is if someone's a big fan of the show and they come in, they've overthought what the questions are going to be, and they've come in with like material, you know, jokes. And I'm like, oh, no, this this is bad, you know, because they're trying to be funny. And so, you know, I, have, I suppose I have techniques to try and get them away from that and get them just to drop all that and try and be themselves. So there are techniques within within that, um, but most of the time it's it's this sort of give and take of here's my questions, here's what I need to get through, managing people's energy. You know, they only have a finite amount of energy, so keep them in the seat for five hours, well, that last two or three questions are going to be junk. And I learned that the hard way when I interviewed 100-year-olds. I started falling asleep in the back half of the interview, literally, you know, just nodding off. And I was like, All right, I need to, you know, make this quicker. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's, it's juggling that plan versus in the moment and knowing what you're trying to achieve with your questions, but having the courage to to go off off that plan, follow the hooks that you hear, and then be able to come back to that plan when you need to.
1: I often think that, when people get up there on a stage, for example, and they talk to an audience, they're not talking to the audience, they're just talking to themselves mm. and then the audience is hearing it. And I actually think that sometimes when we just talk one-on-one, we're always having conversations with ourselves.
0: Mm.
1: Do you think there your is such- You're
0: test running material past people.
1: Totally. Have you been practising on me?
0: <laughs> um, no. No, because you've asked me things I hadn't thought about. That's um, what I wanted
1: to hear. Thank God, fuck.
0: And yes. even now, I'm sitting here thinking, um, you know, do I care? This question. Of course I care. I, I care. I care deeply. That's why would I? Um, or is that something you convince yourself to no, no, what? You know, I, I'm not driven by money. I'm not driven by. Um, Doesn't mean you care. No, but I'm just trying to think. Why would I? Why do I do this stuff? You know. Why do I do? Look, I'm very interested in. Um, I'm very interested in. In uh, in community and challenging um, how we think and see the world. You know, I think all the projects I've worked on in my life have been about that, um, about creating an environment where we can reflect on our on ourselves and others and go, huh? Is this is this the best way, or are there ways that we can Progress from that, so I think that that's what I'm ultimately interested in is is creating experiences, whether it's television or otherwise, where people um, people think about their own lives, think about themselves, think about others, and and um, maybe make change out of that. You know,
1: not necessarily make it better though. You're not trying to make things better, just.
0: Well, better's in think. the eye of the beholder, Great. you know. Uh, you so know, is my it. is my way better? Um, you know, then you're sort of saying, is my way better or not? But um, you know, if, if we're talking about the people on my show um, who are being judged on a daily basis, and if you come away not judging them, yes, I think that's better. I think that's better if if you are coming away from watching our show with a more open mind. I think that is a better way to be, you know. And there and there is a series of you know principles we are a better way to live than otherwise you know
1: so then if i combine that with making things better and with caring um is caring just another form of saying i think things should be in a better should be better than this they should be better than this in just in terms of understanding
0: of course if, they should
1: therefore caring is just me really trying to make a change the way people see things
0: yes i think that i think definitely that you know, we're very individualized, um, self-absorbed, um, don't care about anyone but ourselves society at the moment. And I think it's toxic. It um, is toxic. And I hate it, you know. So, yes, you know, I breathed a sigh of relief when Albanese got elected, you know, and, and Albanese said, I want to I, I sort of move these barriers of hate, these these, the, these ways that we uh, are creating, you know, these silos of fear, you know, it's it's a horrible way to live. You know, when Trump got kicked out, um, I think I breathed a sigh of relief too. That the this sort of harboring of fear of making people hate each other, like you know, or the it's, use of fear. Yeah, it's just to it's maintain it's, power. It's it's toxic, it's uh it's gross, you know. So, um, you know, I, I'm not a religious person. Um, you know, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, but um I think that the loss of the church, for example, of a Sunday morning where you come together with a whole lot of people that you don't normally hang out with for 10 o'clock to talk about your week, to be challenged on your morals, to have a cup of tea after and check in with someone and see if they're okay. You know, I think that's a loss that we don't have things more like that um, in the world where we're, we're, we're concerned with more, 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 me, 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 things, things, things. Um, so, you know, if, if if part of what I can do can help challenge some of that, that stuff, um that excites me. I mean if you couldn't be excited, what the fuck would you do? <laughs> oh gosh. Find find ways to find ways to uh, find that excitement again. You know, and that's the joy of say doing things like travelling overseas or uh, um you know, following a football team or um you know, having niche interests, you know, and, and loves and collecting things or, you know, having hobbies or um, playing sports or there's so many things where you can get excited and challenged. Or um, So I don't feel like that's going to not happen anytime soon, be excited by things um, because, you know, we're a pretty um, wondrous world where pretty kooky people out there. I think that's why I surround myself with unusual people. Um, You know, not the stereotypical set of friends, you know, got, got all the odd bods, um, but, the, you know, because you want to be challenged and ex- for me anyway, I want to be challenged and excited and um, that's, the, that's the spice of life.
1: I think I'm going to leave it right there. Kooky and odd bods.
0: <laughs> Kirk Docker, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistant Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.